You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, uh, yesterday, no podcast. Apologize for that, but I did want to try to get a lot of the YouTube stuff going. I had a lot of... Um, I had to lay the groundwork for a lot of different things, just so I can kind of try to do things a little bit quicker, a little bit easier. I wanted to play with a few things, experiment with a few things. Uh, still have a long way to go, and I'm not entirely sure how to move forward, but I, I really wanted to prioritize, and it's hard when it's like, okay, you get YouTube done after you get the podcasts done, and um, I got working on it, and I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to take a day, and I'm going to play with this. Plus, the the uh, NFL Draft Facebook group, I wanted to do a lot more work in there. Um, I mean, when you are the owner of the largest NFL Draft Facebook group uh, in the known universe, you should probably, you know, poke your head in once in a while and be somewhat active. So I took a day to prioritize that. I'm going to try to do a little bit today, but I do want to make sure I don't go two days without a podcast. So lots and lots to talk about today. Um, mostly news and notesy type stuff. Just a little bit of a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'm going to try to do my best to uh, segment these things so that we touch on at least a little bit of everything. But I figure we should clean up this uh, NFL news because, I mean, come on, who wants to listen to four-week-old NFL news? The question, where to begin? Oh, by the way, should probably throw it out there. I'm still doing a $100 giveaway. So if you go to uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash mock drafts, the name of the group is NFL Mock Draft hyphen NFL Draft Fanatics. But all you got to do, two things, subscribe to the YouTube channel, which is Packernet Podcast. Number two, drop in a seven-round mock. You can just take a picture. Um, I think uh, Pro Football Network is pretty easy. You do the mock draft, and they allow you to download an, an image, a graphic, and then you can just post that right in here. Feel free to jump in and do the Packers. I've, I've, it's probably better to work toward the back of the draft, so Packers make sense, but feel free to do as many teams as you want. And the only reason I say that is because I'm going to be doing a lot of... Uh, I'm looking for posts that get the most interaction, and if you... Post one, and five minutes later, I'm trying to find out the you know Patriots mock that got the most. You're not going to have the most because you just posted it. You have one like. Somebody's got you know 17 likes and 42 comments. Just a thought. But um, what I'm going to do then? I'm going to do a mock draft for every team. I'm going to try to do 32. But if you don't have a pick in the first round, some people probably won't touch it unless they're fans of those teams. But then I'm going to go back and look at which videos perform the best. That will be the winner. Bing bang boom. Hundred bucks. And if that goes well, I may just go into the Packers group and do something like that. I don't know. We'll see. Anyways, why don't we start with this? Uh, Via Adam Schefter, Raiders quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo is being suspended two games for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing substance policy, league sources told ESPN. Policy violation is related to him using a prescription medication without having a valid therapeutic use exemption per sources. I, I would just be curious specifically what we're talking about and how much of an advantage it's going to give him. I understand you got to have rules, and you got to draw hard lines somewhere, and, and you know, you, whatever, but we're talking about a prescription medication, so it's not like steroids or anything. I mean, I, I guess it could be steroids, because you could get a prescription for steroids, but I don't know. I mean, these guys do everything they can 
including going to some pretty wild extremes to get their bodies where they need to be. I would just be curious to know what it is and what the magnitude of difference is between what he did and what some of the other, you know, people are doing to the extremes. Along with all kinds of loopholes, you know, it says uh, without having a valid therapeutic use exemption. I mean, how many of these guys have injuries that they're using as an excuse to take things that maybe aren't 100% necessary and help them in other ways? I don't know. Whatever. I don't really care. I'm just more curious than anything, I guess, because I know how poorly the NFL mismanages everything. I just have a suspicion if you dig into it, there's going to be a lot of people doing stuff that you're like, that doesn't seem right, whereas other people are doing things that are completely benign and being suspended. But who knows, maybe it was something serious. As far as the Brazil game, um, kind of split, obviously, on who wants the Packers to go and who don't does not. I, I'm on the side of wanting it. But apparently via Peter King, and I don't know to what degree he believes this or whatever, but it is his uh, educated guess that it's going to be the Browns, which, listen, again, the NFL I don't think does the best things, although I think they've left the schedule up to robots mostly at this point, which is why we are seeing better games. I just can't fathom. This is your first time trying to sell the NFL to Brazil and garner a large audience, and you send Eagles-Browns, Eagles who have completely imploded, and the Browns, who, you know, are the Browns. There's, there, there is not a less inspiring team in the entire NFL than the Cleveland Browns. I'm, I'm, I'm not even talking about talent. There are less talented teams. There's not a less inspiring team. Their name is the Browns. What, is it, what, is, what even is that? And their logo is just an orange helmet. You're the Browns, and your logo is orange. <laughs> and so somehow there's a, a, a vague relation to a dog. But it's just like, yeah, this is a bad team that's stupid and is from kind of a garbage part of the country. And, uh, you know, they don't win football games and they have a stupid name and they don't have any players that anyone cares about, with the exception of the one guy that hits people with helmets and has some anger issues, apparently. And, uh, yeah, not a lot going on there. I mean, if you don't want to send the Packers, who Brazilians like more than any other team, which seems like low-hanging fruit right there, but if you don't want to do that and you insist on sending the freaking Eagles, which, I mean, whatever, Send somebody interesting. Send the Bills, the Chiefs, the Ravens. Send a rival. Send the, send the Cowboys. Cowboys, Eagles? Come on. Now we're talking. The Browns? Do we, do we care? Are we just trying to get Brazil to back off? <laughs> this is our thing, Brazil. You stick to soccer and shut your mouth. Got it? You do soccer and you do MMA. And then otherwise you leave us alone. You want some of this? I don't think you will. Look at this. Look at this garbage on your field right now. What a disgrace. So just just leave us alone. It's the only message I think we could possibly send with Eagles Browns in Brazil. It's the dumbest thing ever. I don't know who's actually on the Eagles schedule, but again, I guarantee there's better options in the Browns. And if nothing else, Dallas. Just do Dallas. I think that'd be phenomenal. Otherwise, there's a lot going on with quarterbacks. So I'll just put these all into a giant bucket because it just kind of uh in college football too, but we'll save that for the college football portion. So first of all, a lot of different teams are in the mix here, but the Denver Broncos are reportedly likely to part ways with Russell Wilson. But as far as the team's future goes, there is a lot of talk about J.J. McCarthy and Bo Nix. These are two guys that have been reportedly, repeatedly tied to the Denver Broncos. And uh, apparently because of their situation, the situation in which they gave away all their draft capital for Russell Wilson, they're not going to be trading up. So it has to be somebody that's available already. Those are guys that are, are being looked at. 
Now, the Broncos have had a lot of issues developing quarterbacks, but I, I don't know their perspective in terms of, you know, they think because of the new head coach, maybe that can change. But if you're looking to draft and develop, it sounds like McCarthy's probably the guy. But that's something to keep an eye on. The biggest in terms of speculation, though, is obviously Justin Fields. Most people have tied him to the Falcons. They've basically written that off. That's a done deal. He's going to Atlanta. Couple little wrinkles here, though. There, there are a bunch of other teams that have been linked, you know, could just be vaguely or whatever to Justin Fields. But there's other, also other connections to the Falcons outside of Justin Fields. So, first of all, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach Mike Tomlin, apparently big fan of Justin Fields. Adam Schefter mentioned that on the Pat McAfee show. There are also talk, a lot of talks about the Steelers bringing in competition for Kenny Pickett. Justin Fields is still a young enough guy that. Uh, and Kenny Pickett was an older guy. So you could bring him in and um, kind of let the best man win, especially if you think Justin can be that dude, which a lot of people think it's just the situation in Chicago. I do not. Aside from that, though, as far as the Atlanta Falcons are concerned, there's actually a really strong connection to Kirk Cousins. Now, I think Minnesota makes sense for Kirk Cousins also, but I guess Kirk Cousins' wife is from Atlanta. He mentioned that he likes playing in domed stadiums, which he's in one now, but it would be a good transition for him. So if Minnesota doesn't bring him back, I don't know that Cousins doesn't, doesn't go to the top of the list. And to be honest, if I'm Atlanta, I understand, you know, as far as Justin Fields being a younger guy, and if you can get this thing figured out, you know, with his ability to run along with Bijan and, and the weapons that you have with Drake London and uh, Kyle Pitts, like it, it, it's the ceiling there is really appealing, but I just really struggle with it because I just don't think he's the guy. And so... If you want to win football games, you get Kirk Cousins and you just make it a done deal. I don't know how much longer Kirk Cousins has. I really don't. In fact, I'll tell you exactly what you do. You can draft J.J. McCarthy or whatever developmental quarterback you think can actually be that dude, and then you go get Kirk Cousins, and you allow Kirk Cousins to play for a year, two years, three years, whatever it is, and you develop this guy behind him. Then you're taking care of both things. Quarterback's the most important thing. Make sure you get it right. So I, I really do understand the Fields thing. But I just think you're wasting time. I think you've gotten a bunch of talent, the weapons. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm talking physical, like running back, tight end, wide receiver. You've got that nailed down. But I just think Justin Fields is a three-year investment that's a waste of your time. And maybe it won't be three full years. Maybe it's a one-year investment just to see how it goes. I don't know what kind of a thing you can do. But if you're giving up draft capital and you're giving the guy a contract, I'm thinking you probably want longer than a one-year investment. You're going to waste all that time. You're going to waste the time of your young players, Bijan, Drake, Pitts. I just, I don't get it. You got the guys go make some noise and then just have a plan in place for when that guy goes. There is a little bit more bear stuff, but I want to stick on the NFL for just a minute. One of the things to take note of, there are significant uh, dates coming up. One of them is tomorrow. So a lot of these contracts, they build in these, these voids or guarantees and things that have trigger dates. The 16th was already a big one. The next big one is going to be the 19th, and there's a lot of different guys. For example, you might have seen a tweet about update. The Buccaneers can create $7.4 million in cap space if they sign Mike Evans to a long-term contract before Monday, Monday being the 19th. It says, with Tampa expected to bring back Baker Mayfield, it only makes sense that they also bring Mike Evans back. Now, that's kind of beside the point, although it is somewhat relevant to the Packers. But the point is, these are, these are things... These dates are when things happen, and I don't just bring that up for that reason. See, because the offseason is all about dates, and that's the, the most important thing is understanding where these dates take place. 
you know, this is free agency, but you also have to remember prior to free agency, you've got the tampering period. You got, so that's when like the news starts to break and all that stuff. So free agency takes place before free agency, like that Monday or whatever. You got the draft date, you got the combine date, you got all these different, the pro day date, but these trigger dates for the contracts are also important because it tells you a lot of information. It tells you which players are staying and which players are going to some degree. Another thing that um, is worth noting is that Chris Jones, which I don't think anybody expects him to actually hit free agency, but the Chiefs picked up his contract option. And essentially what that's going to do is going to give them the option to tag him. So according to Track, he's looking at somewhere around a three-year $85 million guarantee with seven, or $85 million contract with $75 million in guarantees. But the bottom line is the Chiefs have set themselves up so that they can they can lay down the uh, franchise tag if needed. So you see stuff like that, and you're like, okay, just scratch him off the list. He's not going anywhere. But anyways, there's a lot of other guys on this 19th date. One of them is Keyshawn Nixon. So on Monday, probably at, what do they say, like 3 o'clock Eastern time or something like that, or 5 o'clock Eastern time, I don't know. But he has he's one of those guys that has a bunch of void years on his contract. 2024 through 2027, he has void years. On Monday, those void years automatically void, which means the contract has come to an end and the Packers have to pay the $1.4 million in dead cap. Now, that's a small amount over three, you know, to, to, to combine three years into $1.4 million is relatively low. However, a couple of thoughts. It, it's entirely possible all that's going to happen now is they're going to allow Keyshawn Nixon to test the market. It's a small enough dead cap hit where it's like, okay, well, if we decide, if he decides and wants to come back and we want to pay him, then we're going to have to pay him the contract plus the $1.4 million debt. Price of doing business, I guess. But two things immediately come to mind. Number one, if you want to keep him, well, I, I guess they're both kind of the same thing, just different sides of it. If you want to keep him, get a deal done first. Now, from a cap perspective, it doesn't really change very much. The money that you put out there, the $1.4 million or whatever, that has to be paid either way. So you're not necessarily saving money. But from a perspective of him hitting the market, you'd rather not let this thing happen. So the, the other side of the coin, is the other thought that I had is it's possible we see a contract come down for Keyshawn Nixon sometime on possibly Sunday or Monday, or Saturday. It's still Saturday for me. Who knows? Maybe this is already old news. But it, it just it's one of those things that makes you think there may be some Keyshawn Nixon news coming pretty soon. If not, he will be hitting uh, free agency because his contract is officially coming to an end. Now, nobody can actually sign him. So again, it's not that big of a deal where it's like, well, we might lose him. But you are in a position now where you're just one team competing for Keyshawn Nixon. So I think one of two things essentially is happening. Either one, we're about to get some Keyshawn Nixon news, or two, we're going to find out that they are willing to let him test the market. And of course, that in and of itself makes me go back to the draft slash free agency and say, I'm thinking that that is going to be a a bigger emphasis, a bigger need. Because again, we got Jair, but then there's questions about Stokes. Some of the other guys are you know, maybe adequate backups, but I don't think they're any real solution at starting cornerback, and then you lose your slot guy slash kick returner, whatever, and um, it becomes borderline dire. And and on top of that, I wanted to kind of save the draft stuff, but it seems to flow really nicely. Jordan Reed says it's a really good uh, nickel cornerback class. You got Mike Sanders still out of Michigan, uh, Tyke Smith out of Georgia, and Max Melton out of Rutgers, among many others. So unlike a lot of years, uh, this is apparently a really good slot corner group. So, and that may factor into the decision. You know, the Packers are looking at it saying, okay, here is sort of the cost we're looking at. Compare that to the cost of keeping them as well as the the value of 
Keyshawn Nixon and the value of some of these other players. And it's sort of, you know, we're okay moving in the direction of finding somebody else and, and whatever. But, you know, it, it, so, so it, it allows the Packers to draw a hard line and say, if you're willing to take money below here, we're good. Otherwise, we're more than happy and excited to move on and try to find the next great Green Bay Packers corner, you know, nickel slot guy. There are a couple other names in here. Uh, Baker Mayfield, which again, something is expected to get done there. Uh, the Vikings, Marcus Davenport, Mike Evans, who we already mentioned, Derek Henry, as well as Antoine Winfield, which is a big one. Again, I fully expect Tampa to bring back Winfield. The next big date, and there's a couple dates in between, but like, you know, very common date is March 13th. I don't know who picks these dates, but there, there just seems to be a lot, of, uh, a lot of those dates. Some other Green Bay Packers. Important dates coming up. Rashawn Gary on uh, March 15th, his $6.2 million roster bonus is due. That obviously is not important information. He's not going anywhere. Uh, a lot of other things on that day, though. Uh, Devondre Campbell has a $3 million roster bonus due. Now, that's probably one of the bigger ones because, you know, that's one of those things where if you're looking to move in a new direction, you're not paying $3 million. So we'll find out where the Packers stand with Devondre Campbell and all that relatively soon. Same thing for Preston. Again, I don't think he's going anywhere, but there's still some questions. He has a $5.4 million roster bonus due on the 15th. Elton Jenkins, 5.1. He's obviously not going anywhere. And then Jair, who I think we can all agree, but maybe some still are on the fence on it. Jair has $8 million due on the 15th. So Packers uh, Packers better make sure they got, they got uh, enough money in the old checking account. Got about $27 million to pay out. On March 15th. Anyways, why don't we take our first break? If you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy is where you can do so for as little as $1 per month or hit me up on Venmo Packernet Podcast. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. 
With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So I've got a couple more NFL things here. I'm a little bit upset. I've been hanging out to this one forever, and I don't have a note in here. I'm a little upset. It has to do with uh, the analytics of things. But anyways, the, the, I'll try to summarize it as best as I can without having the data here. I, I will never be able to find the tweet. Maybe I bookmarked it, but it would have been a while ago. But it was, it was some interesting data that I found on... Um, teams and their success and apparently you know there's there's kind of ebbs and flows and whatnot the league has kind of gone back and forth but in in the recent past it was a i want to say it was like yards per attempt league it was it was about pushing the ball down the field and recently the success has been more attributed to yak yards after the cat it's more of the Debo Samuel type stuff. We, and we've seen things like this with the Green Bay Packers about trying to get the ball in guys' hands, you know, doing that stuff behind the line of scrimmage and trying to get them to make things after the catch. And so it really just kind of got me thinking, if you're keeping up with the trends, and I'm sure NFL teams have that data, one of the things you really want to look for is, you know, obviously we have the Christian Watson, we have the attack down the field guy, but I don't think we have a yak guy. I mean, Wicks is pretty decent at it. And we've kind of gotten away from it a little bit. I mean, that was a big thing for a while. Every every time you saw that big hulking, you know, wide receiver that also seems kind of fast, you know, the next Debo Samuel or whatever, everybody immediately said it's got to be a Packer. And I think everybody just kind of gave up on that. But I thought it was kind of interesting as we look forward into the draft as who are the guys that are going to be able to help the Packers improve in that area the most. And so, obviously, Malik Neighbors, uh, I shouldn't say obviously, but Malik Neighbors uh, is, is 13th highest on this list. I'm using the SIS right now. He is going to be out of our range. But a couple of the other maybe lesser-known names, Anias Smith out of Texas A&M. He is currently sitting at 129. He's gone up quite a bit. I've got 135 wide receivers out of college on this list right now, and he ranks fifth highest. He's listed at 5'10", 200 pounds, 22.7 years old. But he had 53 receptions this past year. He's a slot guy, but 53 receptions this year, 20 missed tackles forced via PFF. A guy that's actually just one spot ahead of him, um, as far as the wide receivers are concerned, at 122, Malik Washington out of Virginia. He ranks 14th, one spot behind Malik Neighbors. He's another guy where size is going to be an issue. He's listed at 5'8", 194. But he had a 91 PFF grade, 92 receiving grade, 1,384 yards, and nine touchdowns. SAS had him down for uh, 13 broken tackles and 18 missed tackles. But anyways, I went over to PFF. I looked at yards after the catch per reception, grabbed a handful of guys. There's three other guys I want to mention uh, that are worth looking into. However, one of the things that I love is when all the pieces start to connect and you find a guy that's like, okay, that checks the box, that checks the box, that checks the box, and you put a big circle around him. Now, I can't remember if I watched him. I probably did. I'll have to, let me let me just see if I can freaking find it. Yes, I did, and I wasn't super impressed. I mean, I, I, mean, I had him 11th, but, you know, it's out of 16. Anyways, the first two is Daquan Felton. 
He is six foot five, two hundred and seven pounds. Currently listed at five hundred and ninety nine. So as of right now, he's probably not going to even be an undrafted free agent. But we'll just see about that. But his yards after the catch per reception was eight point four yards, which is pretty staggeringly high. Little bit again on the small side, and again a slot guy, but whatever is uh, Ladiatric Griffin. He's a little bit more on the radar, sitting at 288, wide receiver out of Mississippi State. His yards after the catch per reception was 8.2 yards, and that's been pretty consistent. It was 8.3 last year, so he's just really, really good at that. But the guy that just checks every single box, it's it's a pretty solid size box. In fact, it's kind of like a Debo-y size. Not super tall, but kind of built a little bit. Not even sure what size Debo is, but I'm just saying. Um, yards after the catch is 8.6 yards. And we've got some pretty promising senior bowl notes, not to mention a decent receiver option that is kind of in the second, third round conversation, and that's Malachi Corley. Western Kentucky, Malachi Corley, he's 5'11", 210 pounds. And again, remember, this whole thing is about, this is a yards after the catch league right now. So if you're looking for a yards after the catch guy, this is not a terrible option. Here are the notes from the senior bowl. Corley made an impression as a potential hidden gem, drawing comparisons to Tank Dell with a thicker build. His performance suggested he could be a valuable find in the draft. Malachi Corley, Western Kentucky, was notably active across the field during day one, showing his run-after-the-catch skills and versatility in being targeted at various levels. Corley's performance was likened to Amon Ross St. Brown, showing strong hands, burst after the catch, and skilled releases, reinforcing the comparison with a standout day one showing. And then there was another article where there was a bunch of different pro comps. And so pro comp that they put down completely separately was Amon Ross St. Brown. So again, if you're looking, I, I know it's kind of tough because he's he's a another kind of slot guy. And maybe we're not even looking for wide receiver. I don't know. I'm just saying, leave the Packers out of it. From an NFL standpoint, if you're looking at it from a standpoint of yards after the catch league, We've had recent success with guys like this, right? The last big guy. So it used to be these sort of, again, sort of like the deeper threat types of guys. You got these big, splashy, you know, just ex-elite route running, Garrett Wilson, Jamar Chase, just put them on the boundary and let them cook. But lately, what do we got? You got Amon Ross St. Brown. You got Tank Dell. It's kind of a different style of guy. And so if you're looking for the next Tank Dell Amon Ra, it's looking like Malachi Corley could be that guy. I'm just saying. All right, I got a couple more NFL things, but I'll just save that for tomorrow. Let's pivot to the NFC North, which really just means Chicago Bears. We talked about the only Vikings thing, which was Kirk Cousins and the Lions. Who cares? I want to talk about um, this little thing you may have heard called historic compensation. Been a lot of talk about the Bears are demanding historic compensation when it comes to the number one pick. And... um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that that is just complete posturing. There's a video, which I, again, lost because it copy and pasted the wrong thing. But it's Ian Rappaport talking about how the Chicago Bears are going to want historic compensation. And his explanation of it tells you all you need to know about why this is essentially fake. And that's not to say that they don't want it, because of course they want it. And it's not to say that they aren't going to try to build it up. And it's not even to say that they won't get it because they might, which I don't think they will, because I don't think they're going to pass on the pick. But... When Ian Rappaport talked about it, he said, which goes to show you how much they think of Caleb Williams. In other words, the fact that they want historic compensation tells you that they want Caleb Williams 
and that they think he's really, really good. There's a lot of problems with this, though. Number one is the next sentence where Ian Rappaport says, I know they're not there yet, but... That's exactly right. They're not even to that point yet. Now, obviously, everybody's watched, and everybody has an opinion on Justin Fields, and they have an opinion on Caleb Williams, at least to some degree, but they're not to the point of even having a decision yet. So how do they know that you would need historic compensation? And beyond that, the idea that a team would even take historic compensation to allow somebody to pry away a quarterback that you have determined to be an elite quarterback is nonsense. There is no compensation. There's literally no amount of compensation a team would take if they believe genuinely that this guy's going to be Pat Mahomes. There's nothing. And if you allow a team to take him away for you for like three first-round picks, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. So the whole thing is just nonsense. They're pumping this thing out into the world. They have no idea what they even want to do yet. But at the end of the day, And I've said this already numerous times, you cannot keep Justin Fields and you cannot allow another team to dictate to you what quarterback you're going to get. Even if you are basically tied between, let's say, you know, three-way tie between Drake May and Daniels and and, uh, Williams, you have to make the decision. You cannot allow somebody else to take the quarterback away that's the right one and leave you with somebody else. You have to make the decision. You have to determine who's the right guy for your, for your team. And you have to be the one to pull the lever. Now, there is still a good chance that the Bears will trade. Probably not down very far because they're probably going to want to get a quarterback. I don't know that that's the case, but I'm, I, I, it has to be the case. But I just think this is a very simple case of just draft Caleb Williams. Just do it. I know some people don't like him. We'll get to that. And fair enough. I, I'm, I'm not even saying I think it's worth it because I haven't really looked into it a ton. But the bottom line is you need to determine who the quarterback of the future is and you need to draft him. That's the benefit of the first overall pick. It's a strong quarterback class and you get to pick the best of the best. If you pass on that opportunity, you're a bunch of idiots and you deserve what's coming to you. And I don't think they're going to. Speaking of the Bears, by the way, final note for them. They did release safety Eddie Jackson and offensive lineman Cody Whitehair. So this is one of those situations where, you know, I'll laugh and just say, ha ha. You just lost all these pieces, and it's like, well, I thought they were bad. Oh, they weren't very good. I mean, white hair was pretty bad. Eddie Jackson, I wouldn't say is bad, but he's massively overrated. But there's a couple differentiating factors that need to be brought up. Number one, just because they're maybe not that good doesn't mean that this helps you. This still hurts you, because the guys that were behind them are even less good. Number two, specifically with Eddie Jackson, this has less to do with Eddie Jackson is so bad he shouldn't even be on the team. This has to do with we were so stupid with that massive contract that we gave you based on one year that now we've gotten to the point where you're so expensive you're not worth the contract. And so we've decided to release you. If he was on some like Darnell Savage thing where it's like, okay, but he's not going to get very much and we could just pay you whatever, there's a good chance he'd still be there. And so you went from, for example... Last year, Jaquan Brisker and Eddie Jackson were your two primary safeties. You also had Elijah Hicks playing, uh, you know, 600 for Jaquan, 400 for Jackson, 300 for Hicks. But anyways, you had a 65 PFF grade for Brisker, 58 for Jackson, and then 46 for Elijah Hicks. So Eddie Jackson leaves, and now you've got a mediocre safety in Jaquan Brisker. I mean, solid run defense tackling pass rush, but kind of sucks in coverage. And then Elijah Hicks, who's useless. So was it the right decision? Technically, yes, because you put yourself in a crap position to begin with. 
and now you have to fix your mistake. So fixing your mistake is the right decision, but that doesn't mean you're in a good spot. You didn't just get better. And so now your safety room, your DBs, significant downgrade. Cody Whitehair isn't as big of a situation because Tevin Jenkins will slot in there and be the left guard, and he's an upgrade over Cody Whitehair. But again, it, it doesn't make you better. You still got Lucas Patrick maybe still sitting at center. He's a complete disaster. Nate Davis, who you gave a three-year, what, $30 million contract to, is a complete disaster like I told you he would be. And so I guess from a depth standpoint, it, it doesn't help. But So anyways, the Bears are... Uh, they've got to be able to recover from the missing pieces before they can start to even grow. Not to mention, as far as I can tell, they don't even have a quarterback right now. But all right, why don't we take our final break? We'll come back. Just a little bit of Packers news and notes. And then we've got some draft stuff to talk about and uh, maybe some calls. I don't know if we have enough to do a full show. I don't know. But we'll take a break. We'll be right back. So first of all, there's been a lot coming out about you know, looking into the future 2024. And of course, the Packers are, you know, one of the top NFC teams. Jordan is one of the top quarterbacks. It just feels good. And I'll be sure to try to throw it in everybody's face as much as I possibly can. But I saw this the other day from Jacob Morley. Preseason MVP odds in 2023, plus 50,000 for Jordan Love in 2023. 2024, plus 1,200. Now let's think about what plus 1,200 means just for a second. Plus 1200 means you put down 100 bucks, you get 1200, which is the same as you put down a dollar, you get 12, which is 12 to 1. But let's think about this. If all things were equal, let's say you had 32 perfectly equal robots playing quarterback on 32 perfectly even teams with the exact same uh, robot coaches, robot players, etc. Everything is exactly perfectly even. What would the odds of any one of those robot quarterbacks winning MVP be? It would be 32 to 1. Now, that also assumes that quarterback is going to be MVP, which is a fairly safe assumption. But remember, it's not impossible that a different position wins it. So all things being exactly perfectly equal, let's just say the odds should be like 35 to 1, or I guess we can call it 36 to 1. So Jordan has odds that are roughly three times higher. If it's 36 to 1, I think it's 2.85 times higher than what you would have just as a baseline. That's what Vegas is saying right now. On top of that, if you want to get further excited about this new young crew, CBS Sports did a redraft. They had, uh, first of all, the Packers took Brian Branch at 13, but that's not what's interesting. At pick 20, they had the Seattle Seahawks taking Carl Brooks, but that's not all. At 22, they had the Baltimore Ravens take Jaden Reed, and at 31, they had the Chiefs take Dontavian Wicks. That's absolutely crazy. Now, how, the, uh, how accurate this is or isn't, I don't know, but just the fact that they've received that level of notoriety, especially Brooks, that's a heck of a deep dive for a guy that didn't you know, make all the splash plays. And that leaves aside all the promising prospects, like our actual first-round pick, Lucas Van Ness, who started to pick things up down the stretch, looked even more promising in a uh, down, you know, 4-3 stance, which he's going to be doing more of. The tight ends that we have, that started to look a lot better down the stretch. Oh, and by the way, the Packers once again have 11 picks. They are the team with one of the most amount of value in the entire NFL draft, and they're picking almost last. 
So th- there isn't a team that's being set up better than the Green Bay Packers, and that includes even teams like the Texans. I, I respect C.J. Stroud and all that, but again, a lot of those hits came on early picks, C.J. Stroud included. Jordan Love wasn't picked as early. Wicks wasn't a first-round pick. Reed wasn't a first-round pick. Brooks wasn't a first-round pick. Christian wasn't a first-round pick. Tucker wasn't a first-round pick. Musgrave wasn't. Our left tackle, our right tackle. Our offenses and our defenses are entirely opposite. The offense is just a bunch of mid-to-late-round guys that are excelling. Defense is a bunch of first-round guys that are underachieving. Hopefully that changes. Anyways, let's uh, talk a little bit about the NFL draft here. First of all, last year, the big thing was the S2 cognitive tests um, that immediately faced a ton of scrutiny. And then a bunch of leaks came out. And the guy that, you know, there were leaks about as being a complete moron ended up being one of the best quarterbacks to come out as a rookie in a very, very long time. So the agency that represented C.J. Stroud is basically saying to all of their people, do not take these tests. I'm sure that's going to be um, widely expected across the entirety of the uh, of the process. A lot of people are not going to be doing this. Now, I, I don't actually know much about the tests themselves. My, my understanding is that uh, the leaks that came out, at least, at least this is what the S2 people said. Maybe it was complete nonsense, but... They said the leaks were just inaccurate. That it's not actually true. The scores that came out, in which case, you know, it would suck to have a, a cognitive test that actually is solid, and then have people leak fake tests, and then everybody makes fun of your tests for reasons that are fake, and then everybody hates your tests even though you didn't do anything wrong. I will say, I if I were a team, I would want that. I'm not even talking about S2 necessarily. Maybe they're they they suck, and if they do have leaks, then it's not confidential, which isn't great. But, you know, the, the, the bottom line is the tests we actually do don't correlate very well to on-the-field production, right? We know this, like the bench press is useless, the 40-yard dash is largely useless. A lot of these things are not actually that important, especially considering all the information is basically already known. Somebody runs a 4-3-40 time, everybody knows that. Occasionally, there's like a, whoa, what the heck is that all about? And usually it's for underperforming, and then you kind of look at it and go, well, we trust the tape, so we're not going to worry about it. Cognitive tests are things that are a little bit harder to figure out, right? So, I mean, anything that would negatively impair you on the field, you could possibly look at and, and deduce that maybe they're a little slow, but it would be nice to know if they, I mean, if, if somebody is not seemingly grasping things on the field and you get them in and they're absolutely genius, then it's not an intelligence thing. And there's every reason to believe that maybe they're just not being coached right and you should bring them in. You can coach them up and you'll get them exactly where they want them to be. If you give them the test and they're a complete dum-dum, then there's every reason to believe that they're going to have a hard time grasping the concepts. And I understand that it's this very controversial thing. How dare you talk about somebody's intelligence? But it's a critical piece. I mean, freaking sack up and deal with it. It's insane to me that it's like, we can't talk about it because it's not nice. Bro, I'm not going to tell anybody, okay? Take the test. I won't even tell you. I'll tell you you're a genius and then not draft you, okay? I don't care. I just want to know the information. I mean, I put you on the scale. I know how fat you are. I tell you to run down there. I know how fast you are. I tell you to do all these different drills so I can judge you and your ability. But when it comes to mental abilities, man, we get super sensitive. But that is the that is the most important piece, in my opinion. More so for some positions than others. But I mean, it just it's 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 like a lot of other things that you can overcome. You can run a, a four six as a wide receiver and overcome. It's going to be really tough. 
But there's always going to be the out, well, what about this person? What about that person? Okay, fine. But it, it's still better if you're faster. It's still a lot better if you're super smart. So I don't know. If S2 doesn't work, fine. I know everybody wants it gone because everybody's very sensitive about mental testing. It's not fair. It's not nice. Freaking okay. <laughs> Good Lord. So I'm not allowed to know if you're qualified for this job. Okay. Because it's not nice. So I got to find out the hard way. I got to get you in the building. I got to pay you millions of dollars and then come to find out that you're a freaking moron and then cut you because you're a moron. When we could have established that day one, fine, we'll do it the hard way, I guess. But I do think it would be a good thing to have some sort of aptitude or even like reflex, you you know, not even talking about like IQ, but showing your brain's ability to process information quickly can be translated in different ways. You know, what, what do we talk about on the field? Read and what? and react. That's processing speed. How quickly you see things with your eyes, it goes into your brain, you can process it, then you can give a direction, and then your body can react to that direction and go. Mental processing, it's a very important piece. Oh, we can't talk about that, though. Bro, just take the freaking test. You can be too short, too fat, too slow, but you can't be too dumb, because that's not nice. I don't know. But S2 is basically done. They tried it. Everybody hated it. Everybody trashed it. Lots of controversy, and now it looks like it's basically just dead. But somebody needs to come up with some kind of a test, and they need to do this for real. If we're going to gather data on prospects, we should at least gather good data. And your ability to process information is very valuable data. But the final thing I wanted to talk about, this is really interesting, because, you know, the Bears are sitting in this situation, a lot of teams are, where they're at the top, and there's supposedly a lot of really good quarterbacks. The question is, who are the really good quarterbacks? Now, I know this is lion season and, and everybody's jockeying for position and, and trying to come up with a lot of fake information and sending it out there and whatnot, but it's pretty wild the amount of information that's come out that has really changed the dynamic, and it starts with Caleb Williams. So Caleb Williams had like one bad game, I think it was against Notre Dame or whatever, and then I think he followed it up with another bad game, and then he was right back on track. But as soon as that happened, as soon as he had like a three interception game or whatever it was, everybody started to question how great he really is. And and people started coming out with all kinds of hot takes. And then it became the smart thing to do to talk about he's not as good as everybody thinks. He's kind of a bust and, you know, he needs to be in the right, you know, whatever. And, and, And maybe he is. But there have been now multiple takes regarding Caleb Williams as not just being not the first pick, but being a really bad prospect. Here is Merrill Hodge talking about Caleb Williams. Well, I've only watched Caleb Williams three games last year, three this year, so I'm only halfway done, okay? The one thing that, I, that is clear, he is not special. He is not something unique like a Patrick Mahomes, and I hope the Bears don't think, well, let's, let's, let's try to make up for our mistake when we pass up Patrick Mahomes and go get the Patrick Mahomes. The kid is not Patrick Mahomes, ain't even remotely close to that. It is unfair to Justin Fields. He has had new coordinators. So we'll leave it at that. And I believe I've already played that before, but I just want to start with that because that's not the only one. Then you've got this. This is from um, the, the Twitter account is First Round Mock, but it's owned by a guy who was a scout for the New York Jets. His name is Daniel Kelly. Now, maybe the guy's a joke. I have no idea. It doesn't matter. The tweet says, as a former NFL scout, I don't do this for clicks. My end game is a second chance in the NFL. I have a fourth-round grade on Caleb Williams. With the way folks keep the receipts, I have to make sure. So I evaluated every snap the past two seasons. He's not it. Just going through a couple of the notes in his article. 
Williams won the 2022 Heisman Trophy, but it amounted to a second-round grade watching him through my NFL-colored glasses. He tended to hold the ball too long and to lock in with receivers. Now, remember, I've mentioned this before about the negatives that I'm hearing about Caleb Williams remind me a lot of Justin Fields. That's Justin Fields. Says the first three games of 2023 gave me optimism he had improved, but then ASU happened. He was excellent against Colorado, but mediocre against the University of Arizona. And then things went off the rails. The true litmus test would be against ranked competition. What happened? USC faced Notre Dame, Utah, Cal, Washington, Oregon, and UCLA, and dropped five out of six, and Williams became unglued. Here's his list of concerns. Downward trajectory. Williams regressed in 2023. NFL expectations will be crazy high. The expectations alone will cause him to be a bust. That's an overstatement, but it's a fair point to some degree. Time to throw. Pro Football Focus recorded Williams at 3.44 seconds in 2022 and 3.21 seconds in 2023. That's insane. And again, that's Justin Fields. Why does he have a billion sacks? He holds the ball too long. It says Williams was sacked 63 times. Only seven NFL quarterbacks um, are over three seconds. Bears quarterback Justin Fields was the slowest at 3.23. Fields was sacked 99 times. He's a glorified system quarterback. It says, I did an independent study this season. Williams' best completion percentage game uh, came throwing 44 to 62% short passes. His three worst games, 559 to 57.5%, were fewer shorter passes. He's not a big game quarterback. His number five, Williams, was 2-9 and nine against ranked teams the past two seasons. Number six, fumbles. He has 32 fumbles in 36 games. Number seven, post-game conduct. Refused to shake hands with Utah and refused to talk to reporters after the UCLA law. Number eight, nature. Wants to get out of structure as a passer and get reckless as a runner. Increased risk of injury. He reverts to locking in with receivers. Additionally, he talked down about a fan calling him a sheep, and he does unpredictable and uncensored things, ranging from painting obscenities on his fingernails to jumping into the stands and crying in his mother's arm. Number nine, inexperienced dealings with adversity. According to Sports Illustrated, Williams said, I've never been in this situation where I'm 7-5 and five and there's no playoff hopes at the end of the season. I'm dealing with it emotionally, dealing with it spiritually and physically. You go to the Bears, you better learn to deal with it. And then number 10, Holiday Bowl. USC bounced right back, same offensive line and defense, against number 15 Louisville with quarterback Miller Moss, who was making his first career start, and he matched Williams' USC high of six touchdown passes in a game. Final words, he says, Williams is an elite athlete, but there's nothing generational about him as a passer. So again, you can take it or leave it. I don't really care. The point is, and I love this, it it felt hopeless. I was really upset that the Bears were going to get Caleb Williams, and he looks like the greatest thing ever. And even if they don't get Caleb Williams, there's a bunch of other guys that everybody's obsessed with. But then you look at it and you say, well, okay, Drake May, though. He's, He's the guy. But there's also this. After watching more Drake May, I get why he scares some people off. Through an alarming number of uncatchable passes in multiple games, can get skittish in the pocket and puts himself in bad spots, drift, uh, drifting to his target. Drake May has more WTF misses than any top quarterback in this class because his feet are all over the place. Wherever he ends up, I think he'll need to get uh, time to sit and fix his feet. That's something JJ even reached out to me. Kind of unaware of the discourse, he kind of looked into it and came to me and was like, I don't see anything with this guy. I have no idea. His feet are terrible. There was a tweet that was getting circulating around. I saw a couple different times from Dynasty Dynasty Masters. It says, how far will Drake May fall in the NFL draft? Casuals on Twitter think he's a stud because that's what they've been programmed through this echo chamber. I'm starting to wonder if we have another Malik Willis situation on our hands. In other words, everybody loves him, media hypes him up, and he ends up falling real far. So we've had 
two top dogs for a long time, right? Those are the top guys. Now there's a ton of anti-Caleb stuff coming out. There's a ton of anti-Drake May stuff coming out. And what are we seeing on the other side? Via Benjamin Albright, you're going to see a lot of chatter about McCarthy starting to ramp up as media catches up to and learns about where the league scouting stands. League is definitely higher on McCarthy, top 10, and lower on Nixon Pennock. So McCarthy is now a top 10 guy. And then you got Jaden Daniels. First of all, there's a rumor the Raiders are in on Jaden Daniels. That doesn't necessarily have anything to do with this, but whatever. Just a little tidbit since we're here. and cross that note off. But you got, for example, Kurt Benkert. Jaden Daniels is my early QB1 this draft. And then he goes and does, this was on the 13th. I haven't seen it, but I'm looking at it now. He does a film breakdown on Jaden Daniels. So it wasn't that long ago we had a very clear number one, a close number two, and then some guys further down the line. Now we got the clear number one who's falling. We've got the clear number two who's falling. And then we have J.J. McCarthy and we have Jaden Daniels coming up. According to, um, I forget his name, but according to the guy I just said two seconds ago, McCarthy's already a top 10. And Jaden, Dan- I know Kurt Bankert is not a GM right now, but it, it's worth noting if he's looking at this and saying that Jaden Daniels is number one, we clearly don't have this massive gap there anymore. So, you know, again, the, the, the reason I like this is you have to assume there's at least one stud in this, in this draft. One of these guys is going to be just an absolute stud. But there's going to be busts, too. And I'm kind of excited that there's this big mess right now of four quarterbacks. It's not like two and you look at it and go, one of these is probably really good. The other one hopefully is not. And 50-50, the Bears picked the wrong one. Now you're looking at four quarterbacks and serious doubt with all four. Hype with all four, but doubt with all four as well. Um, it just feels like we've ramped up the odds that they're going to end up screwing this up again. <laughs> and I, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I, um, I, don't, I don't even have a preference right now. I don't know. Part of me wants them to take Caleb Williams, which I still think they're going to, just because, again, Caleb Williams, although I think he has more arm talent than what we saw with Justin Fields in college, maybe less, you know, obviously less talent with his legs and whatnot. So overall, I don't know where you put him, but, um, but, but the issues that caused Justin Fields to not be able to get over the hump in the NFL are the same issues that you're seeing with Caleb Williams. So there's every reason to believe that you're going to, and and then similar to what we saw with, you know, Mr. Draft Scouty guy, because the expectations are through the roof, because everybody says you're the next Mahomes and all this stuff, it just adds to it. So week one, you, when you come out and get your face caved in by the Green Bay Packers, thus starts the downward spiral. So I don't really know what I want them to do. I mean, passing on Caleb and then Caleb going somewhere and becoming the next Mahomes would be kind of perfect, especially if they took Drake May so that they twice passed on Mahomes and went with the UNC guy um, that just wasn't as good. Taking uh, Taking Caleb and letting him be just another Justin Fields while the other guys go on to be good quarterbacks would also be pretty glorious. Just taking the lazy, easy way out rather than doing your job and actually scouting and figuring out who the best ones are. I can't imagine they would take J.J. McCarthy. The the one scenario, and I know we're spending a lot of time talking about the Bears quarterback situation, but it's important, right? I mean, you got the Packers, and we kind of know where they're at. The Vikings, there's a lot of questions about their quarterback situation, um, but not to the same degree. It's a matter of, are you going to run it back with the guy that's pretty good? 
or are you just going to suck? And the Lions, we know their situation. The Bears, it's a big deal. It's a big deal from a standpoint of if they really get a stud, that's going to suck. But also if they miss again, oh, it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. But anyways, the, the, the one positive, and maybe this is the right thing to do. You keep Justin, you trade the pick, and then you draft J.J. McCarthy. This is just based on what I'm hearing other people say. Because then you, you, just, you continue to run it back with Justin Fields. You see what you got. You develop the guy that has supposedly incredible upside but needs some time to develop, and you develop him. And if you can't develop him because you suck, then, then you need to hire new people. So let's just leave that off the table. But one way or another, you have to draft the right guy. And if that guy is not going to be ready for a couple years, tough. Just get the right guy. But the other benefit to all the quarterback talk is lots of quarterbacks are going to be going, which pushes a lot of talent toward the Green Bay Packers. So we know we now know that four are, are definitely gone. But then you've got, you know, a couple other quarterbacks lingering in the general area, and it's a question of are they going to go or not. By the way, Tony Pauline also weighed in on this just to add to the confusion. He uh, did a, a YouTube video talking about some guys that he thought the media may be overrated and some guys that he thought were underrated. He listed J.J. McCarthy and Michael Penix as being overrated. So it just, it, it's just a mess. No matter who ends up getting drafted, you're going to be able to find a ton of people talking about them being elite and a ton of people saying they're not very good. But it says uh, J.J. McCarthy he thinks is overrated due to concerns about his size, arm strength, and decision-making. Performance at Michigan was praised, but doubts are raised about his ability to transition to the NFL. His draft position is debated with some expecting, expecting him to be overdrafted. So he's not even doubting that there are definitely rumors about him being valued very highly, but it's just a question of will he be overdrafted. And then with Michael Penix, uh, medical concerns, limitations in his tape, uh, despite impressive production, there's skepticism about his ability to translate success to the NFL, particularly given his limited mobility and age. Might as well finish this out since, you know, close out the note. Um, quarterback Ben Bryant says that is an underrated prospect. Strong performance at Cincinnati and Northwestern despite facing injuries. Praised for his downfield passing, but noted his injury history. Uh, Audric Estime, running back, overrated, primarily being the one-dimensional power back, limited burst, pass-catching abilities, compared unfavorably to A.J. Dillon, suggesting a more situational role in the NFL. Uh, Blake Corum, overrated. Concerns about size and burst. Underrated running back, Bucky Irving. Keon Coleman, the wide receiver, overrated. I know Packer fans have been hitting me up about Keon Coleman like crazy lately. I don't know what came out about him. Somebody dropped a highlight reel or something. I don't know what happened. But I'm getting a ton of people talking about Keon Coleman. But uh, overrated due to inconsistencies and a tendency to drop passes while physically gifted. Doubts are raised about his separation skills and consistency. Uh, Xavier Leggett, Leggett, whatever. Overrated based on measurements at the Senior Bowl, leading to concerns about his NFL fit and potential as a contested catch receiver. Underrated wide receiver Jermaine Burton. Underrated Roman Wilson, the wide receiver. He's actually been picking up some steam. Overrated Joe Alt. That one surprises me. Underrated offensive lineman Isaiah Adams. Overrated defensive lineman Chris Jenkins. Underrated defensive back Malik Mustafa. And then finally, he highlights Tory Taylor, the punter out of Iowa, as being a very, very talented guy. Anyways, that's all I got for you today. You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Bye-bye.